Lambadon Planet Podcast, episode 36. I'm your host, Joel Lambadon. Thank you for joining me on this never-ending quest to figure out how to teach better. Today on the podcast is Dr. Rick Balkin, professor of leadership and counselor education in the School of Education here at the University of Mississippi. He's joining me to talk about his new book, Practicing Forgiveness, A Path Toward Healing, which is being released on December 1st, 2020. So about a month from now, from when this uh, podcast is going to be released. And so I don't even have to go into disclaimer because I'm going to be talking about a book with its author and you can only pre-order this thing. So, and guess where you can pre-order it? At your local bookstore of Square Books, Square Books here in Oxford, Mississippi. So I will post a link in the show notes so you can get access to Rick's book. You're going to hear a lot of uh, stories and anecdotes and things that's where he's talking about forgiveness and also just the, the life experiences that Rick had that go into this book. I mean, it's more, I mean, how much stuff of, of Rick's is packed into this little book is, is pretty amazing. So I, I'm going to highly recommend this book. I enjoyed reading it in preparation for this podcast, and I know you'll enjoy it too. If you have any sort of uh, need to think about forgiveness, and I think we all do, um, I would I would highly recommend picking up this book. But I don't want to delay anymore. This is a great conversation. It's a pretty long conversation, but it's a good one. So here, without further delay, is my conversation with Dr. Rick Balkin. Dr. Rick Balkin, fantastic to have you finally on the Amazon Planet podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm excited to be here. All right. Hey, so some people might not know the man, the myth, the legend of Dr. Rick Balkin. So Rick, could you just do a, a quick little intro of yourself? Sure. Um, so I was going to be an English teacher. I got my bachelor's degree in secondary education language arts. Really? Oh, and, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I did my student teaching and um, it was good, but it wasn't great. It was, it was, it was good. <laughs> um, you know, uh, I, I could see, I could sense that there was going to be a burnout uh, mm. to it. Um, and, and, and so I thought I would stick around for my master's degree. And I was thinking I was going to get my master's degree in English. And then I woke up one night and went, what would I do with a master's degree in English? <laughs> um, yeah. And, you know, what really drove me into teaching was, um, in particular, secondary education, was just being able to impact uh, adolescents. Mm. I, that, that was just, a, yeah. I had a real interest in doing that. And um, so I, uh, that, that led me into the area of school counseling. And I thought, oh, you know, maybe school counseling would be a, 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 a good way. And I, I would teach for a few years and I would go into school counseling and and, uh, but why not just get the degree now? And so uh, um, I went straight through bachelor's to master's, uh, got my master's degree in school counseling. Um, and uh, gra- I was a December graduate. I graduated oh, in me December. Too. Yeah, yeah. 19- yeah, 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 yeah. December 1992. But there was a position open in a guidance department at the alternative school um, where I was in Columbia, Missouri. Hmm. And uh, so I took a position there. And it was working on a, on, a, on, a, on, a, on a grant called Serve America, where we had these uh, students in the alternative school doing volunteer opportunities. And I helped coordinate that and um, did that for about five months. And in the meantime, I'm, you know, during the winter break, I, I was, I was uh, at home and uh, a family friend who worked at a psychiatric hospital on an adolescent unit says, we're going to have an opening. And I'm like, man, I'm like, you know, what I really enjoy the most is working with teens. Yeah. And, uh, 
So that got me into uh, the psychiatric hospital system. And so uh, in May of 93, I joined a program called Recover Team in Little Rock, Arkansas, and became a, a, a counselor, therapist, um, uh, on an adolescent unit. And I did uh, both an outpatient program, kind of a post-care program, and then I did inpatient work. And within that seven years, I also did a geriatrics, uh, adult chemical dependency, and adult psych. Um, and uh, kind of just reached the point where I was like, what do I do now after seven mm -hmm. years? I really enjoyed my job, but I thought maybe being a program director would be good. And I thought maybe having a, a PhD would open up some, some areas for me. So yeah. I, I went and I got my doctorate in counselor education. And when I started my doctoral program, it was to become a program director. And when I ended it, um, I have people saying, Rick, you need to look at academe and you're a good researcher and uh, academe's a peach job. And uh, I ended up taking a, a, a position at Texas A&M University Commerce as an assistant professor in the counseling program and uh, was there for six years. And then to Corpus Christi uh, for five years and then to Louisville, Kentucky for three years and now the University of Mississippi. And, 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 and uh, I love it here. I, I just, I love, I, I love it here. Climb the mountain all the way. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, I, again, I, I, I say, I think I say this every episode is like, this is a, the, the, the podcast is an excuse to have these conversations. Like I didn't know that you were a, uh, uh, going to train to be a high school English teacher. So that, that brings me to a question, like, what's your favorite book from like, the canon or whatever like what was the thing that you're like i oh i can't wait to teach that book so you know my favorite area and if i were and, and, and i contemplated getting a master's and doctorate in english and, uh -huh. and had i done that i would have gone into medieval literature <laughs> oh right. all right okay yeah, yeah. I, I would have gone into like you know you know sir gawain and the green knight um uh the pearl it's a it's a long poem um bale of the Canterbury yeah. Tales, you know, you know I, I just, I loved that stuff, um, you know, and so uh, I, I, I would have gone in that direction. Um, but when teaching, particularly teaching high school English, you know, you, you, you don't spend a lot of time on medieval literature. You might yeah, cover yeah. Beowulf, yep, that's, um, yep. you know, in the Canterbury Tales, you mm -hmm. know, when you do like English literature, but um, Dickens. Really? Um, I had... Yeah, yeah. Hard Times. I loved that novel. And I had the most amazing professor um, when I uh, was, was learning about Dickens. And she said to me something to me, her name was Marie Laga. Oh, she was a gem. Um, and she said to me, the only regret I have about Dickens is I can't read him for the first time again. Oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, yeah, that's what, uh, that, that, um, that stuck with me. And so when I did my student teaching, I taught hard times. Nice. And the students struggled with it, but it was, it was, it was still fun. Yeah. And I mean, in looking back, I just, my only knowledge of Dickens is, I mean, I've read a few of his things, but like it was that he was, he wrote in those small chapters because it was like released in the papers, right? Was it right, released right. like little chunks at a time, which is interesting. Like then you kind of, when you know that it's like, oh, okay, that's why this is, these things are happening in these sorts of chunks. Yeah. Yeah. My, so my high school English 
experience that led me into literature. Like I had a Mr. Powers was, mm-hmm. and, and he got me to love literature. I mean, I was a reader, but like to like really dive into some of these areas and like he had us, you know, gave us choices and what we could read. And then we would allow, and then would bring in coffee and say like, this is what you do. You drink, you read these great works and then you talk about them and you drink coffee and it's like, like fantastic. And that's, he introduced me to my favorite book of all time. The sun also rises by Hemingway. And I just love the, the, the bull, the description of the fishing and the bullfighting and just this, you know, these relationships that are going on in this straight, like, just, I love, I've, I read that probably once a year. I don't know what that says about me. I know you're a counselor. You're probably like, Ooh, Joel might have some issues. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, a lot of the important thing is that you read. You know? That's right. And, yeah. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, I, um, I really like short stories though. Hmm. I don't read many of them. Um, yeah. but I'm, you know, one of my favorite classes was a class on modern short stories, which introduced me to, uh, Isaac Besheba Singer is a, a Jewish author and mm-hmm. wrote a, uh, a book, uh, excuse me, a short story called Gimple the Fool, oh. which is really an allegory to Job. And uh, I just, uh, that's one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Here we go. We're going to have some, uh, maybe we should have some uh, some reader, reader recommendations coming from uh, Dr. Rick uh, <laughs> every week. Maybe, maybe. There you go. Yeah. But speaking of books, segue, yeah. this book. I'm I'm excited to hear. I mean, I've been. I mean, I knew you were working on a book. I think I can't remember. Maybe it was even a year before you were talking about like this book coming out. We we do jujitsu together, so we'd have all you know some uh, some talk before and after class, and we'd talk about things that are happening. And so you talked about this book a, a while ago. This practicing forgiveness, a path toward healing. So just give us a little. Where, how did the, where did this book come from? Um, came from my experience working with adolescents in the psychiatric hospital. So it's all connected. Uh, and I tell the story uh, at the beginning of the book uh, with a story about Sheila. Yeah. Um, Sheila inspired the book. Uh, Sheila is a pseudonym, mm-hmm. uh, but Sheila was 16 years old. Um, and she uh, tells her school counselor that she's being sexually abused by her father. And uh, her uh, school counselor does all the things that you're supposed to do, calls mm-hmm. the hotline, makes a report. Uh, there's an investigation. Uh, I testify in court during all this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's intense. And so that's one of the reasons why the case just stood, you know, you know, stood with me is because uh, I, I went to court. And it was, a, it was a very intense court appearance that I talk about in the book. Um, with the father denying the allegations and uh, the daughter, you know, standing firm, you know, and being asked why I believe the daughter, and I got to justify why why I believe the daughter's mm-hmm. story. Uh, but in the midst of all this, um, you know, if you can imagine, you know, father's denying the allegations. Um, he's been removed from the home. He's been arrested. Um, Mom is just hysterical mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and feels very torn between um, what's going on and the family is falling apart. And I'm doing the very first family session at the hospital with the mom and the daughter. 
and kind of set this up. Um, we have a family conference room. I first meet with the mom and I talk to the mom. And I'm like, you know, what your daughter really seems to really needs right now is support. And what got the daughter into the hospital is that with all this going on, she threatened suicide. Mm. And so she comes in uh, and is admitted to the hospital um, uh, under child protective custody. So she's in, uh, uh, she, she's in custody. And so uh, her caseworker is the one who signed the papers, not the mom. All right. So, um, so I, you know, and, and mom seems to understand what I'm saying. And I bring the daughter in and we come into this family conference room and uh, there's a sofa and a chair, two chairs, my chair and another chair. And I usually I expect the parent and the kid to sit on the sofa together and they don't. Mm. Uh, daughter comes in, she goes to the sofa, mom sits in the chair next to me. And the first thing the mom says to the daughter is, you know, as a Christian, you have to forgive him. And I look at the mom without missing a beat. I mean, I don't pause or anything. I don't let that resonate. I just look straight at the mom and I go, wouldn't that be convenient for you? And mom is looking at me like shocked and seething, like, what did you just say? And I'm like, yeah, then you don't have to choose between your daughter's disclosure and your husband's denial. You can just sweep it all under the rug because it's forgiven. And so, as you can imagine, that family session doesn't go so hot. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, uh, and I'm not going to tell you that that was the best thing to say. Um, it, it's what I said, though. Right. You know, and, I, and I've had people say, I don't like what you said to the mom. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm not changing the narrative because you don't like it. Right. That's what I said. And, you know, on the positive side, uh, the, my client knew, the, the, the daughter knew, Sheila knew, I'm a, I got you. I'm right. with you. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, lots of stuff happens. You know, she was placed out of the home after she's discharged. Um, dad goes to jail. Um, and this case sits with me. Um, I, time passes, I go get my doctorate. Um, it's about five years and I've settled in McKinney, Texas. Um, and I've joined a synagogue and it's Yom Kippur, the Jewish day of atonement. Mm -hmm. And, um, I go to Yom Kippur services and then there's a study group afterwards. It's like, I'm going to go to the study group because I don't want to go home and stare at the fridge because I'm fasting. Um, <laughs> so uh, I go to the study group and there's this um, leader in the group. He's not a rabbi, but he's a leader, you know, in the, in, yeah. you know, in the congregation who's gone through uh, uh, educated Jewish education training. Mm -hmm. And, uh, He's presenting this talk on the Jewish conceptualization of forgiveness. And he gives three types of forgiveness. Um, he talks about um, teshuva, which is spiritual forgiveness, the, the forgiveness that only God can give. And then he talks about selicha, which is like restitutional forgiveness. You know, I borrow your lawnmower, I break your lawnmower, but I repair your lawnmower, so we're good. Mm -hmm. And then he talked about this concept of mechila, which translates to to wipe away debt, which I thought was kind of funny because you know Jews are always stereotyped about you know finances. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, to wipe away debt, you know, 
you know, where was that in Fiddler on the Roof? You know, you don't owe me anything <laughs> anymore. We're good. You know, the butcher doesn't say that. You know, <laughs> um, you know, um, you know. So this idea of mechila was interesting to me. Um, this idea that you wipe away debt, and when do you do that? You do that when the person who has caused harm, who's made an infraction who owes you something can't repay the debt. And you decide, what I want from you, I'm never going to get. And so we're done. We're good. You don't owe me anything anymore. Now, there's no mandate there to reconcile the relationship, to heal the relationship. You just simply acknowledge that what you want, you're never going to get. And I'm like, oh my God, you know, abuse, neglect, um, you know, these are things that once done, you can't undo. You know, if after this podcast, you get on Facebook and go, wow, worst podcast ever, you know, and you type my name down and it gets 30,000 hits and it's going viral and you go, oh, I shouldn't have done that. I want people to listen to this podcast and you erase it, but it's already out there. Right. And you're like, Nick, I'm sorry. There's nothing we can do about that. It's been done, but... You know, there is this idea of, you know, what I want, I'm never going to get. And I'm not going to live my life focusing on any ill will anymore. And so one type of forgiveness is this interpersonal forgiveness that we think about. It's what Sheila's mom was talking about. You Mm -hmm. know, as a Christian, you have to forgive him. And then you have to reconcile this relationship. But another type of forgiveness is this intrapersonal forgiveness, this concept of mechila, where you say, I'm going to go it alone and I'm going to release feelings of ill will and I'm not going to brood on this anymore, but I'm also going to protect myself. I'm going to stay safe. I'm not going to put myself into a, a, a negative relationship with this person. Yeah, I don't have to reconcile with this person. I can simply go on, you know, without these negative, without this negative burden. And that resonated to me. And I'm like, this, this isn't talked about. It's not talked about in counseling. It's not talked about in the literature. As a matter of fact, when I started to go into the literature, um, I was seeing this debate about whether reconciliation was part of forgiveness or not. I called it the reconciliation dilemma. Mm, yeah. And I took this model, this conceptual model, uh, and, and said, we can apply this Jewish conceptualization into clinical practice uh, of forgiveness. And I, I, I create this model, which I end up calling the forgiveness reconciliation model, but I didn't know at the time that's what I was gonna call it. And it gets published in a, in a journal called Counseling and Values. And I go to a presentation at the national conference and I'm doing this presentation. And you know, I, I've been pre- presenting on adolescents who are at risk and in crisis, and I'd have like six people at time. I do this presentation on a concept. There's no numbers to back up. It's just a concept from that, that I gleaned from the literature and kind of synthesized. 120 people are in the room. Oof. I mean, it's packed. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, this has impact. And then um, the ecumenical center in San Antonio is like, hey, come do a workshop with us. I'm like, I've written one article and I've been asked to do a six hour workshop. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know how does how does that work? Mm-hmm. And uh, 
you know, but people were interested in this. And uh, I, I, which gave, gave me the question, well, how do I validate this model? And I created a, a measure called the Forgiveness Reconciliation Inventory based on this model. And it turns out you know, this kind of really cool thing where I have this model and this measure and people are digging it. And, uh, and I'm like, how do I get this information out to the mainstream? I don't just want to talk to counselors. I want to talk to everybody. And that's where the birth of the book came from. So wow. that's, that, that's, that, 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 yeah, it's, it's kind of a long story, but no, no, that's, that's yeah. I mean, one, the, the, you know, the, the story that you shared about Sheila, I mean, it, it's, I mean, and I would assume that you have lots of stories like that with given the, the work that you did of, I mean, and you share a lot yeah. of them within the book where like this sort of model is, is necessary in order to have some sort of way to, to work through these, these issues. But like just yeah. hearing also how the evolution of something like that, I mean, it's not like you decided to write a book and, and six months later it's out. I mean, this is like, it's kind of a life's work sort of that's come about like, and not just to say, Hey, here's an idea, but then also let's see if there's some, any validation to it. Let's, let's make the inventory. And th I mean, I just love the thoughtfulness that's that's going on here, and so and and the little package it now comes in, and you think like the all the story that's within it, it's it's kind of amazing. Yeah, yeah, it was. It, it's been a journey, and 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 yeah, it's not. Um, it, it wasn't. It, yeah, it wasn't. Um, oh, I've got this idea. It, it's something that I experienced, and uh, you know, and, and and you know, you think about um the synchronous moments that have to happen for this to transpire, you know, um, you know, being home during winter break, getting the job offer that moves me to the hospital, you know, uh, working with this client, getting the job at A&M Commerce, you know, which puts me in McKinney, Texas in 2003 at the synagogue mm -hmm. on Yom Kippur, you know, um, you know, it's, Knowing you're going to be hungry when you go home, so you better go to the study group. So, go to the study group, <laughs> yeah. right? You know, if if I don't go to that study group, this doesn't happen. Right. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's kind of amazing. It's pretty amazing, and also too. Let me. I'm just want to acknowledge for our audience that uh, Rick is also an expert in quantitative measures. So it's it's cool to see those sorts of things come about that you're able to use those gifts and these sorts of things too. And what you know, one thing that that I that really attracted me to this book too, uh, Rick, and in, in reading it, and I was texting you like, oh, I'm loving reading this. But also too, just this idea of, you know, we're not just, when we're doing something in academia or we're doing something for this, we're not just like these professors that live in an office and doing this work and really, and we're separate from our lives outside. I mean, like, so you're incorporating some things that you learned about going to the synagogue and bringing in this, these ideas and think like, well, these have use within the field that I'm interested in. And then, cause some of the same thing for me, I was, I was wondering about uh, my own journey and, and my thinking about, how I want to teach and like looking to my own faith life and bringing in some of those ideas and like, what does this mean? And with regards to teaching mathematics, what does agape have to do with that? And so like these sorts of things that come together, it's, it's, it shows like this is, this, this work is a part of who we are. It's not just, you know, something we do. Right. Right. Now it's, um, uh, yeah, I, 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 I think one of the, the strengths of this model is that um, it comes from a Jewish conceptualization, but it's it's a universal idea. 
you know, and, and that's that, you know, um, and, you know, there's a little bit of a, of pride where I can take this really relatively unknown concept in Judaism and maybe bring it to the, to the mainstream, bring it to the world. And, and, and you know, in, 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 you know, in doing that, I'm not just sharing my ideas about forgiveness and sharing the research about forgiveness, but maybe also sharing a little bit about, um, sharing a little bit about me and my culture and my, and, 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 and you know, my feelings about this. Well, and also too, your voice is in, in the book too. I just love, you know, seeing like you're asking yourself and maybe you're thinking this, well, you know, like, like it just, yeah. it, I just, man, this is Rick. If there's any doubt that Rick wrote this, it's like these exchanges in here, or even just the, the story you, you uh, held with um, that you talked about with Sheila and the way that you stood up for her and you say, well, wouldn't that be convenient? And I mean, just like that, that representation of, Hey, I know, I, I need to say something here. I need to do what's right. And I need to show my client that I'm in their corner. And here we go. It might not yeah. be the best thing to do, but this is, this is, <laughs> I'm not going to apologize. Like I, I, I need to do this. I need to say this thing. And so. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was, uh, you know, I, I, I've struggled with that, you know, I, you, you know, I mean, this family fell apart and um, you know, what would have happened had I said something like, to the mom, it must be really difficult for you to hear your daughter's disclosure and your husband's denial, you know? Um, but I didn't say that, no. you know? Um, <laughs> I didn't go that there at all, you no. know? Uh, <laughs> you know <laughs> I went for the jugular, That's you right. know? So, <laughs> you know, um, you know, but, but, but I wonder about those things, you know, um, right. you know, again, you know, it gets into these, uh, you know, these synchronous moments of, 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 of what you say and, and, and where it takes you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, and like you've said later, it's, it's what I said. And so, yeah, you could yeah. reanalyze it and do all sorts of things. And I think that kind of uh, lines up with where we want to go is like thinking about what are the, what are the learnings we can gather uh, from this book? And that, it's kind of interesting. I, you know, I always, you know, using these categories, I'm usually we're talking about somebody else's book. So, you know, that's usually the yeah. practice, but then every now and then get an opportunity to talk to the actual author of a book. And so I'm curious, like thinking back in, in some of the learnings that you might have in like reflecting your reading through the galleys and you think like, wow, I, here's some things that I learned from doing, uh, engaging this project. And so maybe I'll just toss it to you. What's, what's something that we can take away? What's the learning that you had from this book? Well, one thought is, is that, you know, we, we often want to, we often like to label ourselves, mm. you know, and we do this all the time. We get on Facebook, you know, what Star Trek character am I, you know, <laughs> you know, you know, you know, if I were a potato, what kind of potato would I be? Would I be a sweet potato? Would I be a French fry? You know, um, you know, would I be a loaded baked potato? Yukon you know, gold. All right, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, so, you know, we see these surveys all the time. We, we love to label ourselves, yeah. mm -hmm. label, label other people. Um, but we have to be very careful here because forgiveness is so context bound, you know? Um, and, and one of the examples I give is um, you could have a, a, maybe a, a son or daughter who brings home a friend and the friend steals $20 out of your wallet. And you tell your son or daughter, this friend is never allowed in our house again. Mm. 
but what if the person who stole twenty dollars out of your wallet was your nephew or niece? Well, now we have to have a talk, mm. you know. And so the same event might elicit a different reaction because of the context, you know. And so you're not a forgiving person or an unforgiving person. Um, you're just a person making decisions about forgiveness based on the context. You know, I, I've worked with couples um, and I've worked with infidelity and, you know, um, dealing with infidelity for a couple who's been together for six months is a lot different than dealing with infidelity, you know, for a couple who's been together for, you know, 10, 15, 20 years. You know, the, the issues are very different, you know, and so, um, you know, so you can't just take something as simple as, you know, uh, an offense and go, well, I would forgive that. I wouldn't. You, you don't necessarily know. And, and, and these are these are harder issues. Um, another learning thing was a uh, uh, learning concept. This was good. Um, I am not, I would never consider myself Jungian, but I find myself always liking Carl Jung uh, for, for certain reasons. He, he, he talks about synchronicity, mm -hmm. but he also talks about archetypes, you know, these myths, these legends, these stories that come again and again and again throughout our history. And we tell them, we tell them in fiction, we, we live them. Give an example know? of one, Rick, just, just to make sure people understand what you're talking about, like archetypes. So um, we might uh, consider something like um, redemption as an archetype, mm -hmm. all right? Uh, what are stories of, 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 of redemption? King David is a story of redemption, all right? Um, he sins and he is, he is forgiven, you know? Um, you know, um, I was going to go Norman Dale from Hoosiers who, uh, hit the, okay. kid, hit the college, then came and won, won the title for the Huskers redemption. There you go. Right. <laughs> right. right. Um, you know, um, Tiger Woods. Mm. Yeah. Use that example. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of people share Tiger Woods, uh, when he wins. Um, what about Darth Vader? Anakin Skywalker. Yeah. You know, um, you know, the, you know, the, the dude blew up a planet. Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You know, he is not a good guy. Yeah. <laughs> All right. But in the end, you know, um, he saves Luke, you know, he kills the emperor the first time and, uh, you know, and, uh, he, yeah, yeah. We think he does. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and, and he becomes a force ghost and, uh, you know, Hey, that's what you want. Right. But we also have the opposite. We have Voldemort. Mm -hmm. Harry doesn't reconcile with Voldemort. Voldemort is an evil dude to the end. Right. You know, and these archetypes serve as pathways to interpersonal forgiveness and reconciliation versus interpersonal forgiveness and mechila, when what, what Harry wants for his parents to be alive, he's never going to get. Right. And Voldemort's never apologetic. <laughs> he never turns evil to the core to the end. And we're left 
with a lot of loss, you know? So, you know, um, that, you know, I, I, I think our stories um, are very, uh, very educational, you know, about forgiveness. Um, and they feed into our, our, our beliefs and our culture about forgiveness. And you think about, you know, what, when do we learn about forgiveness? We learn about forgiveness when we're a child and we do something wrong, right. you know. We hit mommy. Mommy told us to put something down. We wouldn't put it down. You know, she took it away and we smacked mommy. And we are told you do not smack mommy. All right. And now we're crying, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, we're, and what are we told? You need to apologize to mommy. And so That's we're right. crying. <laughs> I'm sorry. And it's like, it's okay. And then you get a hug and you've been reinforced for this behavior that you really can't conceptualize or understand about apologies and forgiveness. Yeah. And, you know, how do those, how does that culture and those, and, and that learning impact us in our adulthood? Um, you know, there are, um, and, and you may know people who, you know what, um, they've experienced some really tough times in their relationships, but they're not leaving those relationships. And sometimes, sometimes that's based on a lack of insight. Sometimes that's based on a, a, a false belief that the person's going to change. But sometimes that's based on culture that you don't leave, mm -hmm. you know, that you, you stick around, um, that you see it through. Um, and so... You know, there are cultural and religious aspects about forgiveness to turn the other cheek. Yeah. Um, the Dylan Roof hearing. You know, Dylan Roof um, was the shooter in 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 in, uh, in oh, uh, Charleston, yeah, yeah. South mm -hmm. Carolina. Yep. And you can go on YouTube and you can watch the court hearing. Yep where the family members are um, confronting Dylan Roof. And they're saying things like, I forgive you because I have to forgive you. Mm. And may God have mercy on your soul. And so there's, it's not necessarily an emotional forgiveness, but it's a decisional forgiveness. I think as you point out in you the know. book, that was like two days later, right? It was like, it's very brief amount of time. Yeah. And so, um, yeah. And so, you know, we, 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 we see this, um, we, we see culture play a, an important role in, in, in forgiveness. So I think that those are, you know, and, and because of that, one of the things that we might have to teach ourselves or at least challenge ourselves is to explore what do we believe about forgiveness and how are those beliefs helping me or hindering me? in my path forward. And if I am being hindered by those beliefs, are there some alternative beliefs that I may need to consider? And, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of what this model is about. Yeah. It got me thinking about some, some things that happened in my own life. And 
won't turn this into a counseling session because I don't know what you charge. But I mean, just thinking about some of the, you know, the, the key things that come up is like, you know, thinking about what uh, Sheila's mom, you know, like what her, you know, even to think like what her thoughts are on forgiveness. I mean, maybe she just grew up in a, you know, I'm sorry, you need to forgive, like, and, you know, maybe even like the sophisticated version, rather than saying, I'm sorry, say, I apologize. And that's what he's going to have to do. And then that'll, that'll clear this up, because that's my understanding of forgiveness. And just, I guess that was my learning of, of one thing is just one, don't force forgiveness, right? Like that's, and, and thinking about what do I do with my kids and, or even in, in classrooms or, you know, where things, you know, things happen. So we have, you know, people interacting. And so there's going to be wrongs that are going to happen in, but to force that forgiveness where, you know, and, you know, I've seen it so often with my kid, I got three kids, like, Hey, you did something wrong. And probably before I even thought even about the apology thing, it was like, say, you're sorry. I'm sorry. As they're smiling, running away. And like, yes, I got a victory. And like, but that wasn't, had they, that didn't have anything to do with forgiveness. That, that was, they said a word and they didn't actually know the word, the meaning behind it. And so to, to treat these things a little bit more, treat, treat them better. I mean, I just treat them. Uh, there's some, there's, there's something there that if we don't deal with it, then that can lead to some things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know if you've read the book. So Jordan Peterson has a book, the 10 rules for life. And he was talking about some incidents where like, if one of them is like, don't let your kids do things that, you know, embarrass you in public and not deal with them because you're, you're going to like hold a debt against them later. Like you need to basically say like, Hey, to structure that. And, and it, it kind of spoke into this model of like, you know, if you don't, there's a debt, there's going to be a debt, like you embarrass me. And so then, you know, you embarrass me in public. And then he'll say like, well, then when they bring up a picture that they drew, that's of, you know, of a scarecrow or something like, you know, you're not going to want to say, Oh, that's pretty good. You're just, because there's a debt there. And you're like, nah, it's okay. You know? And so like, again, dealing with these things, it seems like you're offering us a, a structured way in order to think about how do we deal with, um, I guess, uh, these offenses? I don't know. Is that the best way to put it? Right. Well, and, and, you know, it, you know, a lot of it depends on, you know, you know, the person who commits the offense are they able to grow and change? Do they express remorse, you know, versus um, someone who is unable or unwilling to grow and change, Right. you know? And, you know, or, you know, for more severe situations of, I don't care if this person grows or changes, grows and changes or not, or not. I'm, right. I'm, I'm done. No, no, and hell no, you know? Uh -huh. um, so, you know, that's, that's, uh, um, yeah, you know, I, I think we, we have to consider, you know, um, when we're trying to decide, you know, whether we want to reconcile or not, and what I, what I refer to, you know, I, I, I consider reconciliation, you know, not necessarily as things go back to as they were. I refer to it as a renegotiation of the relationship. Right. Okay. I thought you were this, but you're not. So what are you, mm -hmm. you know, and maybe I need to permit you to be who you are, but I still want to be involved with you and let's figure this out. You know? and that, and so, you know, you, you have to renegotiate the relationship sometimes. Yeah. And that, I mean, that, 
there was a the story that you shared of a couple and they both had had some infidelity and I'm like you know you, you you can't think like yeah they they can't just jump in back into the relationship that be as it was before it can't right they needed to and they they it sounds like in the story they stayed together so like they had to renegotiate the relationship what does this relationship look like going forward yeah so i guess that gets to the model right and that was one thing that i another thing i learned was like you know forgiveness is complex right? it's more than just i'm sorry and run away it's complex yeah. but it can be structured and you offer a structure through your forgiveness reconciliation model so maybe just you know i know it's a life's work so i'm asking you to do something pretty important but you know briefly walk through like the four phases that you discuss in the, yeah. Of the model yeah, you know, and, and you know, the the first phase I refer to as collaborative exploration, and um, it's this idea of exploring um, your ideas about forgiveness and about the person who harmed you. How do you feel towards this person? How do you feel about what happened? Uh, about what transpired? But notice, I don't call it exploration. I call it collaborative exploration. Mm-hmm. Um, I encourage people to engage in a relationship where they are talking about this to someone. Um, it could be a counselor, it could be a friend, it could be a mentor, um, but someone. And, 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 and people, you know, why? You know, I, I don't wanna talk about this. Well, well that's the thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, you, know, you know, think about, you know, a, a time in your life when something happened that was so bad that you couldn't talk about it. You know, you know, th- those are usually pretty traumatic moments. And then at some point you do, you bring it up at some point through time, something that was so bad, you couldn't talk about it became something that was really bad, but you could talk about it. All right. And so there is this process of just being able to bring it up that decreases the severity of what you've been exposed to. And you know, when you open up that opportunity to be, to be vulnerable and get feedback, um, you know, I think that's where we grow. Uh, we grow through our relationships. Um, you know. Uh, you you know when you're talking about teaching you know um, you know and you're thinking about you know you, you know you and your students you know and who your favorite teachers were you know and I ask my students you know you know you know think about who your favorite teacher you know was and 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 they they do and and I say okay what made that person your favorite teacher you know they say things like um, I felt this person was passionate. I felt this person cared. This person took an interest in me. This person um, uh, had a sense of humor. I don't hear, well, pedagogically, the multiple choice (laughs) exams were, you know, on point and aligned with the curriculum. And they would write their objectives on the board. You know, all things that we tell teachers to do, but have nothing to do with who our favorite teachers were. Mm -hmm. You know, and so, you know, it's the same idea about, you know, so, so what do we find out about effective teachers? It's about the relationship, you know, and it's the same thing that as we're processing difficult issues, you know, one way that we grow is through the relationship. 
And so collaborative exploration is the first part. And then through, you know, you, know, you, you, you then begin to think, okay, what is the role of reconciliation? Is it better for me, is it beneficial to try and reconcile this relationship or is it beneficial, for, is it more beneficial for me to, or healthier for me to not reconcile this relationship? All right. And so if you choose not to reconcile this relationship, you're basically saying, you know, I need to forego my feelings of ill will and I'm going to, uh, you know, learn to go it alone, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to begin to, re to, to release this idea that, 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 that I'm not going to be angry anymore. And I do that by coming to grips with the fact that what I wanted from this person, I'm never going to get, you know, mm -hmm. in the case of Sheila, what did she want? She wanted a supportive mom. She wanted a healthy family. She wanted a loving father. She's not going to get any of those things. Right. I, you know, but 10 years from the time I see her, do we want Sheila to be going, I didn't get any of those things, you know, right. and still be angry? No, we want her to be able to go, you know what? I survived through this mm -hmm. and I don't wake up with feelings of hostility or anger anymore. Or we decide that we are going to, that, that, that reconciliation would be beneficial. And one of two things happen, you know, um, when we decide that reconciliation is, 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 is beneficial, we do have to confront the offender. You know, I call it confronting Vader. <laughs> yeah. All right. V Vader has a choice, mm -hmm. you know, you know, he can throw the emperor down the hole and, uh, you know, and reconcile with his son. Um, and thereby he's showing remorse and change. And Luke and Vader can uh, reconcile the relationship, you know, because he's going to die in the next scene, you know, or in, in that scene, you know, they don't get to renegotiate their relationship, <laughs> yeah. but you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, you know, but, but that, you know, the idea that you can, re, you can renegotiate the relationship, confront the offender. And if you're seeing remorse and change, there's that you can, you can go even further or the offender doesn't have any remorse and change. So it puts you back down to what you want from this relationship you're not going to get. And so your final phase is a decision phase um, of interpersonal versus intrapersonal forgiveness. And first you have to figure out in collaborative exploration and role of reconciliation, what do you want? But then there's this external factor that you don't have control over that's going to determine what's healthy for you. Well, and that's, is, I mean, that's where that collaborative exploration is probably going to help too, is like offered like different things where, you know, like in your initial case, Sheila, if without you there, maybe she gets told that yet you do need to forgive him and walks down this path and like, hey, well, and like, you're not there to say, wait, 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 this is not beneficial for you. This actually could put you in danger if you, you know, re-enter this relationship here. And so offering that sort of perspective, right? And like, I think, and that was what, I think what's cool about how you talk about that in the book is it's who's it focused on? Cause if Sheila's mom had the choice, she would have said something or versus it's no, no, no. It's focused on Sheila. If it's beneficial to her not beneficial to mom about whether or not Sheila forgives. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And, 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 you know, um, you know, so many times in cases of abuse, uh, the victim will rescind the allegation. Mm. 
and uh, you know go back to the same abusive dynamic. You know, so we certainly don't want that to happen. No. No. So then the two different types, the interpersonal and the intrapersonal. Mm-hmm. You talk through that. So, you know, interpersonal forgiveness is, you know, it, you know, it, it's about renegotiating the relationship and, you know, and, and the way I look at it is, you know, and, 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 I, and I, you know, I know couples that have been together and they're solid couples, you know, they have their gripes and their arguments and, uh, you know, but they're strong couples. I know couples that have struggled, you know, infidelity, you know, whatever, you know, whatever, and they figure it out. You know what? Those are strong couples too. You know, and so, you know, the ability for a couple to experience problems and overcome them to me is just as virtuous as the couple who never experienced problems, mm. you know, um, or whatever, you know, it doesn't have, it doesn't have to be a couple, you know, it can be a friendship, a relationship, whatever that is, um, you know, that ability to, 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 to renegotiate and, uh, and figure things out, um, you know, that that's powerful, but it's also powerful to know, when that's not good for you, or just you know where your limits are, um, you know in in uh, um, you know there are times where 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 someone um, might truly be sorry and remorseful and change, but you're just not there anymore, mm. you know, and um, you know and so. Sometimes, um, you know, recognizing, uh, you know, you know, um, that what you want, you're never going to get. And that happens for a lot of reasons. Sometimes it happens because it's forced upon you, like through uh, a death, um, trying to reconcile with, with, with someone who's no longer around. Mm-hmm. Um, that can be different. You know, you just have to accept the fact that I'm never going to... Uh, be able to renegotiate this relationship. I'm forced into this, this process. And I, and I talk about this process of, of intrapersonal forgiveness as, as a grieving period. I, I, I compare it to the stages of grief, um, you know, where you have depression and anger uh, and, and denial. Um, because uh, um, we, we go through these phases and uh, you know, of, of, of trying to let go of and, and come to grips with what I want, I'm never going to get, you know. Uh, and, and we have, you know, sometimes what we're angry at or what we want, what we want forgiveness from isn't, isn't a person, it's a thing. Um, a, a dear friend of mine uh, just got married, um, you know, she envisioned this elaborate wedding, mm-hmm. you know, and her friends and family are there and we're all celebrating. She didn't get that. Right. You know, um, 
she can't be mad at anybody. It's just, you know, you know, what I wanted from this event, I'm not going to get, you know, but I, I want to be married and I don't want to wake up. I don't want to wake up angry that I'm not married, you know, but I also don't want to wake up and be angry that I'm, I, I didn't get the wedding that I wanted. You know? mm -hmm. So, um, you know, she, she, she became very much at peace with this. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good example of that. Yeah. I was just saying, I mean, like there's a, you know, similar sorts of examples in the book where he's Jesse maybe who didn't, you know, ever get to hear um, his mom connecting with him. I think about my own story. There's some, you know, my dad, I lost him early and uh, alcoholic ending to his life, uh, but good guy. Otherwise, um, you know, good dad up until that point, but like, you know, I'm every, you know, I'm, was mad that he wasn't around like like hey i'm a teacher i got summers like i got summers off <laughs> you know let's yeah. let's go to a ball game and, and he's not there to do that and there was some like anger having to deal with like the process that you describe in your book about like this you know releasing i, there, I, I can't do anything about that relationship now and so right. it's like you know the path i was walked through not specifically the one that you're laying out but it basically led me to that point where there is this releasing of debt and i'm not going to wake up every morning like mad at dad um, but this allows, it's, it's like, had it, it took a while to get through that. It took about ten years to get through that, and so, but got through it. And so, I don't know. There's, it, it makes me think like there's, I mean, there's power in this idea of, of you know, this releasing of the debt and or just in the forgiveness um, reconciliation model. And I'm just curious about what you, what you, what advice or what perspective would you offer to um, teachers, parents who might be thinking about this model in their own interactions with their students and because there's one thing as you're saying these things is i know that when i've had an issue with a student like you know they cheated on something or they like i've had some or there's a behavior thing and, and i handled it in the class i didn't I, I was a big big uh i didn't like to send them to the principal i'd like to deal with it in the in the unit as they say in a few good men deal with it in the unit and so like able to have a conversation and walk them through and then there's a renegotiation of, I'm, I believe there's a renegotiation of the relationship. And actually we probably exited that thing stronger because we had better, a stronger relationship because we had a better understanding of each other. Maybe I understood their needs better. I understood, he understood my expectations and maybe we even exited stronger after that incident. So I don't know what, what, what suggestions or what advice or what perspective do you offer to teachers or parents who are thinking about this model? You know, we've, we've, um, talked about some really severe stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You know, abuse and infidelity. Um, but um, our everyday life is filled with examples of conflict and forgiveness that don't extend to those situations. Right. Um, like right. a misbehavior in a classroom. Mm -hmm. um, I give an example of uh, two friends who go out to lunch together and they each take turns, you know, uh, taking each other out to lunch. And one friend always chooses a, a high-end restaurant. And the other friend chooses like Chili's or Applebee's or something, you know, you know something, you know, not, not so high yet. I love the chips and salsa, Rick. Come on now. Oh yeah. Yeah. This is the skillet and the case. Oh yeah. 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 Got yeah, it. yeah okay. that's awesome. <laughs> so, um, but, uh, you know, she's finally like, you know what? I'm, I'm tired of getting taken advantage of in this situation and I'm not going to have lunch with this person anymore. Um, you know, 
so, you know, and I'm not, you know, and at first that decision may be made out of anger, but then it might be, you know, I'm at peace with it. I'm good, you know? Um, and so, you know, we have circumstances like that, you know, um, and yet we know, we also know, you know, that, that that decision of no longer doing lunch is probably going to impact the friendship, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, eventually, you know, you know, the person making that decision has to be okay with that. And so, um, these, you know, you know, relationships and, and what gets us angry and, when we fail to not necessarily fail, but when we when we when we decide that we're not going to um, renegotiate a relationship, um, that can you know there's such a wide spectrum of of events and things that 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 impact that. Um, and sometimes sometimes we make the decision to never let go. Mm-hmm. You know, to always be angry about it, and you know. I talk about that. I talk about, you know, anger kind of gets a bad rap. Um, you know, we, we approach anger as if anger is a bad thing. But what if anger is sometimes a good thing? Um, my anger can protect me. Mm. Um, my anger can help me get things done. You know, um, sometimes... I enjoy being angry. You know, so some would, some would say when uh, the Packers drafted a, a quarterback in the first round, that made Aaron Rodgers have the uh, outstanding start to the season he's having. So yeah, anger could be helpful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, and so, you know, um, you know, I, I tell a story about um, uh, my bar mitzvah. Um, I have my bar mitzvah and uh, my, uh, we have a reception in the synagogue in the social hall, and my mom made this beautiful smoked turkey. And uh, it's sliced, and uh, one of the uh, congregants walks up to her and says, Susie, this is really good ham. <laughs> and my mom is like, ham in the synagogue? Are you crazy? And you know, kind of a funny story. 30 years later, my daughter has her bat mitzvah. And my mother says, you know, and that Arnold Meichenbaum, he came up to me and he said, you know, do you know, Susie, this is really good ham. And I had to tell him, ham in the synagogue? Are you crazy? And I'm like, wow. Some things are never forget. Yeah, Thirty yeah. years later, and she's still, you know, <laughs> upset about this. <laughs> you don't even live in Little Rock, Arkansas anymore. You retired in Florida. You're still talking about my bar mitzvah. <laughs> and this guy who could you, accused you of having ham in the synagogue. Oh um, you know, it was cute. It was funny, um, but that was my mom. You know. You know, if she were to see this guy, she would never cut this guy slack on that ever. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. So. Well, so, so basically, are you saying with like these small, so these smaller incident, like how how would you, like what, what do you, what advice are you giving? 
Sorry, Rick, I'm, I'm going to no, point no you right back. So I, I, you know what? It doesn't have to be this major incident in our life that impacts our relationships. Our relationships are affected by so many elements that occur day to day. Yeah. And, you know, our, our, our thoughts about forgiveness and how we renegotiate relationships versus when we decide that it's healthy for me to um, go it alone and, and, and to move away and to just wipe away debt and to say, what I want from this relationship, I'm not going to get. It doesn't have to be a major event. We don't have to beat ourselves up mm. when we go, you know what? This person just annoys me. You know, yeah. you know, and it, you know, well, it's not like, you know, they're, they're abusing you. No, no. I just, I, I don't feel comfortable in the relationship. I, mm-hmm. you know, I don't feel respected. Um, and it's nothing major. It's just all these small minor things that bother me. Um, you know, working through, through conflict and forgiveness doesn't have to be uh, exclusive to these um, major episodes. They can include all the things that we deal with on a day-to-day basis. You know, when you're cut off on the interstate, yeah. you know, and you have to slam on the brakes and you're angry, you know, and, you know, you know, what do you want to do? I want to drive by this person and flip them off, you know, <laughs> um, you know, and, and, and people do that, you know, versus, you know, what did I want? What I wanted was to be able to drive relaxed and safe. And this person ha- is not letting me do that. All right. And nothing I do, not speeding, not giving this person a dirty look is going to change that. As a matter of fact, it might make it worse. Right. You know, and so, you know, you know, we often don't look at at uh, being cut off on the interstate by a stranger as a relational exercise, but it kind of is. Yeah, I mean, I could see, I mean, like the diagram you put that puts me right at the point of like, is it going to be beneficial <laughs> to, to like yeah. reconcile? Like, probably not, you know, <laughs> like, I don't know what that looks like. So I just, I got to let, I'm going to have to let this one go. Yeah. That's, no, that's good. And just, and again, I like the visuals in the book. I like the, um, I used to do a little bit of coding. And so it reminded me of some of my decision point, you know, diagrams and things like that, that I had to make. And so, and that's helpful. Like I, I'm thinking about that now in some of my interactions with kids and, and like, you know, what, what am I doing here? What do you know, like, is this something to, that we do here? Or is this maybe something we need to talk further with my wife about to depress? How do we handle this situation versus, you know, is this something I can handle in the moment? Right. And so, I don't know. There's, 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 you've opened up a lot of ideas to me and, and, and ways to handle situations that I had not uh, considered before. And so, and again, all the perspective, all the, uh, all the stories and things, I think bring life to the model. And, and also, also knowing that you're, uh, you've got the, the, um, the inventory, some validation too. Right. So like, yeah, that, that's yeah. been excellent. Yeah, and it was fun to include that in the book and go through like the the different profiles that people can get, you know, from it. Um, and and uh, I had a, a former doctoral student that did her dissertation uh, using this, uh, Dr. Nefertaria Harris, nice. and uh, she it's a qualitative dissertation, and she's nice. interviewing clinicians and clients on their experience with the inventory and seeing a visual of their results and how they process this. Um, and so, you know, it, you know, there, there, there's a nice narrative 
that goes with this structured quantitative analysis. There's a nice uh, bit of narrative data that that also further validate, you know, what it is that that this measure does, you know, and how it can be used. So, would you like to take this platform to express your love for qualitative research right now, Dr. Balkan? <laughs> You know, some re- some research questions are best answered quantitatively, and some are best answered qualitatively. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. There you go. They they just always negotiating their relationship. That's right. That's right. All right. Final question I got for you. I know you're an experienced teacher. Yeah. And you are uh, deal with a lot of different people in the school of ed who are coming to your classes to learn about quantitative methods. I know you guide many people through through their dissertation process. I know you've worked with many folks in other environments and you're even trained up to be an English teacher. So what's, this is a thinking about, this is a podcast is thinking about how do we get better at teaching? What's one thing that you do that you've learned in your teaching that you're like, hey, this is something that I don't think maybe many people know about, but, or maybe a lot of people know, but I just want to reinforce it. Here's my number one insight on teaching. Yeah. Um, we don't learn through the delivery of information. We learn through the internalization of information. And what I tell my students is this. And and, and keep in mind, I teach masters and doctoral students, mostly doctoral students, Mm -hmm. you know, top 2% most educated people in the, in in the country. All right. And I asked them, how many of y'all have a bad habit? And I usually have to say, come on, how many of y'all have a bad habit? And I get everybody to raise their hand. And um, all right, maybe your bad habit is that you eat too much fast food, or maybe you drink too much soda, or maybe your bad habit is that you bite your fingernails, or maybe your bad habit is that you don't uh, get enough uh, exercise during the week. You know, we all have bad habits. And here you are as doctoral students, going to become the most educated people in the country. And you're aware of your bad habits. You know you have bad habits and you haven't changed them. Mm-hmm. So awareness and knowledge does not create change, All right? When do you change? You change when you've internalized it. You know, when you've internalized it and you're like, I, and that drive, that internalization, drives you to action. Nobody starts smoking cigarettes thinking that it's okay for them. Everybody, today, you start smoking, you know it's bad for you. We all know this, all right? But you're gonna smoke anyway. Why? Because you haven't internalized the consequences. And you might not internalize the consequences for 30 years until you get a bad diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And so um, I always tell teachers and educational leaders, think beyond the dissemination of knowledge and consider how you can internalize that knowledge into experience. Great. Yeah, I always thought, because that's a great one, because like I think about you know, if I could just come up with the best explanation for this, this is going to hit home. Cause that's, you know, a lot of times that's how I learned. I just remember, you know, math, memorized procedures and stuff. That was what we got. But like when I became a teacher that that wasn't 
what was effective. Like that was uh, like just sharing information was the telling, telling isn't teaching. And that's, that's my, my first lesson. So seven words. I gotcha. Oh yeah. what you got? Choose to let go rather than stay. Ooh. So I have a longer quote and it's on page 32 of the book. And when I was re, re, reading the book, I came across this, this, this passage and I was like, oh my God, I wrote that. <laughs> <laughs> That's fun. I wrote, maybe a reason you choose not to let things go is that you might prefer to let, to let them stay. And, you know, it comes into this idea that, you know, why don't we change? And it's because change is uncomfortable. And so, you know, when you choose to let go rather than stay, you know, we're choosing to get out of our comfort zone. And, you know, that's where our growth is going to occur. Yeah. And it's like our local district is making changes to standards-based grading, and it's caused a lot of problems. It's just, I think it's great. I think like you're able to point at exactly what kids are mastering. You can do a lot, like you can uh, do some extensions based off of what kids are knowing now, rather than some, you know, abstract prediction of who is, you know, gifted and who is not like, it's like, you can actually look at evidence and see like what things are happening. It's like, but parents struggle. And like, you know, and I, I admit, I probably struggled initially. Like, what does this mean for this system that I know that I know pretty well? Cause I'm a part of it, but like, no, it's like, I need, need to let go. I need to let go. This is, this is better. And so, you know, those sorts of, you know, maybe small examples of, of that. And that's a good one. I like it. All right. All right, Rick. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for your book. Uh, we can pre-order it at Square Books. Um, you yeah. can do that. I think you do that online too, right? Yeah, yeah, you, you you can pre-order it through through uh, Square if you if, if yeah support your local bookstore. Support your local <laughs> bookstore. I will put the link in there. That's a big uh, that's a big push that we do here on the podcast. So uh, we're going to support the local bookstore. I'll put a link in the show notes for this episode, and we'll put it on. It'll be about a month before you get it. I I did my pre-order. I asked for a personalized uh, autograph. So cool. as well. So you can you can get that edition as well. So anyway. Thank you, Rick. Thank you for your time. And thank you for bringing this book to into the world. Hey, thank you so much for having me. This was a blast. Appreciate it. All right, there we go. That's about all I have uh, for this episode of the Amadon Planet podcast. Show notes for this episode can be found at amadonplanet.com forward slash episode 36. And if you're looking for ways to support the podcast, uh, one, go, go pre-order Rick's book or go buy Rick's book if it's after December 1st. Uh, you can get that at Square Books. Um, I'm guessing you can also get it on Amazon and other places. We will update the show notes as more places become available. But right now, you can get it at Square Books, and you can order that online. So we'll put a link in the show notes. There, It's there. But if you're looking for other ways to support this podcast, you can subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. You can subscribe to the Amazon Planet Download, which is a periodic email that contains teaching resources and updates from Amazon Planet. We had a, we had a giveaway in the... Uh, the latest Amazon Planet download, and maybe we'll try and keep giving stuff away in the next one. So go ahead and sign up for the Amazon Planet download. The way you can do that is go to amazonplanet.com. There's many buttons for you to sign up for the email list, and you can go ahead and 
just click that button and sign up, and you might be able to get access to some swag or some of these books we've featured. Maybe even Mr. Rick's book. So you can also follow at Amazon Planet on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, or like the Amazon Planet Facebook page. You can check out the Amazon Planet store or Amazon Planet bookshop. Links in the footer at AmazonPlanet.com where, you, where your purchases support the production costs of the podcast. We're very appreciative of that. All right, so thank you for listening to this episode of the Amazon Planet podcast. Uh, thanks to Rick Balkin for coming on and sharing his expertise and sharing this book um, and all the, the stuff that went into that. It was, it, was, it was a great conversation. Thanks to Matt Mifflin for the music in this episode. And finally, thank you to all of you out there who are seeking to teach better and be the good in the world by investing in the lives of others. This world is a better place because you have decided to use the gifts you've been given to serve others. Thank you for all that you do. Peace.